Welcome to Bitch Talk Booze and Interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. I'm Char. <laughs> Should I keep going? Go ahead. Okay. Oh, boy. That's, you know what? What's funny Fuck. is this is actually a good intro for this particular <laughs> yes. one because this is the Deer in Headlights episode yes. with John C. Riley. Dude. Yeah, we interviewed him earlier this uh, year, if you can believe it. It feels like it was four years ago because this year's been crazy. But um, before we get into it with John C. Riley, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can find us at bff.fm every Monday morning from 5.30 to 6 a.m. You can also find us at a place called Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco on Sunday, September 8th, because we are hosting a show called Really Funny Comedians Who Happen to Be Women. We have Irene Two, we have Natasha Muse, we have Sandy Steck. It's going to be hosted by Chelsea Bierce. You can grab your tickets at CobbsComedy.com. You can also grab some freebies when you follow us on our socials, so be on the lookout for that. And guess what? Let's talk with John C. Riley. This is a special episode featuring a gentleman you may know uh, by the name of John C. Riley. JCR. Is yeah. What we call him. What we call him Behind now. His back knot. Uh, I think we might have inspired him to start his own podcast. He's good at it. I mean, he fucking did an intro better than we did. Somebody tried to throw me in so, the bus. So yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to just, I was trying to change it up, Ange. Uh, Which and is fine. You'll, as you'll hear in the intro, <laughs> John C. Riley took over. But you know what? He can take over anytime he wants. He's so smart. Yeah. And hilarious. Right. Which is also like Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and Hardy were yeah. clever, but also simple in uh, their subtle. comedy. Very yeah, subtle. It's just. A fine, a fine wine. wine. <laughs> oh, Jesus fuck! Aren't we trying to do a comedy duo also? <laughs> oh yeah, we're supposed to work on finishing, finishing each, other's each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. Oh <laughs> damn it! Anyways, that's a holler back to our episode with Frangela. <laughs> Another comedy duo. Anyways, uh, John C. Riley is in town to promote his film called. I keep wanting to call it Laurel and Hardy. It's just not. It's Stan and Ollie. And we got to speak with him about it. So please listen in. And then uh, we'll come back on the flip side and uh, give you some more sneak peeks of our interview. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. What's happening? A lot with you. (laughs) Welcome to the John C. Riley podcast. I'm your host, John C. Riley. I'm here today with Angela and Aaron. Aaron. Also known as? I hope you're working out or you're walking the dog. <laughs> or riding public transportation. Or riding public, tr- pu- 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 riding public transportation or, or doing some other thing that's right. more worthwhile than just listening to John C. Riley talk about himself. <laughs> on, the bitch talk, on the Bitch Talk podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we actually, we got to see you last night, so I kind of have a little bit of a cheat sheet. Okay, uh, so you've yeah, already so given all the answers you're going to get. Well, oh, I wasn't no. there, so if yes, I repeat, it has nothing oh, okay. to do with yeah. it. I did a long <laughs> Q&A last night. I liked the Q&A. It was fun. Um, I was afraid that you were going to fall off your chair, though, when you were kind of rocking back and forth. Oh, no. But you were fine. You were totally fine. Uh, not um, my first day at the rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Watch this. Oh. <laughs> All right, John C. Riley, please not on this podcast, please. We're really. not licensed. We don't have insurance. We don't have insurance. <laughs> that was amazing, though. Thank you. <laughs> now we're awake. You're in a film called Stan and Ollie. 
and uh, you play Oliver Hardy. And you talked a lot yesterday about the fat suit, and you know that's the big thing. But you talked in depth about being a part of really um, crafting the suit and it being, you know, the right the right kind of fat suit. Mm-hmm. Are you involved that much in every character that you play? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never played a character that wore a fat suit before. Oh, it's first time. Although I had a little bit of a paunch, an artificial paunch in the Aviator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm in as involved in every aspect of the filmmaking as the people who were making the movie want me to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the clothes, because that is the clothes and the shoes and all that. that that's really when you start making the first hard choices about a character. And yeah, so they, they involved me early on in the process because the fat suit was another extension of kind of like a costume fitting, you know, like mm-hmm. n- normally it's like, what kind of clothes do you think your character wears? And in this case, it was what shape do you think your character's body is? <laughs> um, what baby shape does the body yeah, uh, during exactly. this decade of his life? <laughs> well, his, his nickname was Babe yeah. from the time he was little all right. the way through his whole life. Everyone <laughs> called him Babe that knew him. And it's because he looked like a fat little baby from the time he was a fat little baby <laughs> to the time he died, you know. Right. Um, so that was sort of our secret to figuring out that shape of the fat suit. Because initially, when they first constructed the first prototype, it was like, well, he's 6'2", and he weighs 325 pounds. So what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And the laws of physics dictate a certain look <laughs> based on those statistics. Normally, for balance. But when I tried it on, it just looked sad like it looked like like all it was just pulling him down pulling him down and i was like guys this is not how he appeared even though these just even though these numbers are technically right he carried himself with such poise and such grace and he was always moving against that weight as opposed to surrendering to it so um yeah i went back and thought they called him babe for a reason and then the reason was he looked like a fat little baby. So then I started sending pictures of fat little babies <laughs> to the people who were designing the fat suits. Like, this is what it has to look like. It's like a buoyant, buoyancy about well, it. Like more, a happy sort of. It's about, it's more like the weight is packed on all over and it stays in the place where it is as opposed to gravity pulling it all down to the, your stomach, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's when we sorted out the what the body should be like and then we could get into the whole long process of all the clothes were custom made because you know i was so big uh we had a lot of work to do so um yeah that was it's an interesting part of the process it was like an extension of the costume design in a way but it's funny you mentioned like well the fat suit was the big thing and the makeup is the big thing like to people outside of me i understand that but to me that was just a given. Yeah, like this is the size I am. This is the way I look when I look in the mirror. But you're not looking in the mirror all the time when you're playing a character. You're looking out, you know. So I was mm-hmm. looking out from this kind of full body mask. <laughs> but inside, it was me, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. my, my explorations were more about like finding out, you know, once I learned his gestures and his act and that kind of stuff even though I, I you know I've been studying this guy my entire life uh, once I figured out the exterior stuff then I had to go almost reverse engineer the character 
because these characters that they came up with, they were the authors of these characters. They, they created these mm -hmm. personas. So if they came from themselves, if you trace it back, you can find out where they came from. And uh, it turns out that Oliver Hardy was quite a romantic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so that kind of mm -hmm. like over-the-top, super romantic personality was just <laughs> like, uh, like it, uh, uh, you know, like turning up the volume on his real personality. Yeah. So it was really fun. And then in the film, we play a lot with that. We play a lot with their off-screen life um, mirroring their on-screen or their on-stage life. And I don't know if you guys know any comedians or actors or whatever, but it's funny when you talk to people, even me, like you, I'm in the business and everything, but I'll be talking to an actor, uh, whether it's, you know, I remember Daniel Craig came yeah. to a party at my house one time, and he's just, just a guy living his life, you know, coming to a dinner party, but everything he did I thought was like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't trying to be like James but Bond. He, he is. But yeah, there was something, you know, so or like, you know, comedians always say, like, I get in a fight with my girlfriend and she just starts laughing because she thinks I'm doing a bit. I'm not doing a bit. This is me. I'm really upset. So we play with that a lot, you know. Um, their films themselves, the stories of their films, their relationships with their wives in their films, it's never the same wife, first of all. It's like right. they go through a lot of and that in their personal lives, they also were married a number of times. Right. <laughs> Stan married the same woman three times. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that part. <laughs> um, Third time's a charm? That's oh. one of my favorite uh, lines in the film when he's like, I'm not going to get married anymore. I'm just going to find a woman I hate and buy her a house. <laughs> that is just like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. But you did, I love how when you, when you talk about thinking about playing this character, it was terrifying, it was very intimidating, but you were like, no one else can do this, I have to do this. Well, I came to that, play. it wasn't, <laughs> that sounds very confident the way you put that, but no one that's else can do it, it, so I'm going to do it. It, it is your show, by the way. Sort of, <laughs> that's kind of a sum up of what happened, but, but really, along the way, it was more like, I was really struggling to think of someone else who could do it to let me off the hook, <laughs> you know, because it was such an awesome responsibility, and I care so much about these guys, I, I just really did not want the movie to be some kind of liability for Laurel and Hardy. You know, I wanted it to feed their legacy as opposed to just be some weird part of it. Um, so uh, after racking my brain, I mean, the guy has to be a certain height. He has to be able to sing. Uh, he has to, you know, the quality of his, of his voice have to be this. And he has to enough, look enough like him with that you could put prosthetic makeup on and think like that's Oliver Hardy. And then it just turns out that was me. Right now in the world, <laughs> that is me. Like, um, so I'm not trying to be immodest, but like the director said, like, we might not be doing this movie if you don't do it. And so then wow. the pressure increased huh. even more. Like, okay, now I'm going to kill the movie if I don't do it. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, they sent me a mock-up of what the makeup would look like. And I thought, well all right, I'll look like the guy. Uh, then I met Steve Coogan, and I mm -hmm. thought, all right, Steve does an amazing Stan Laurel, mm -hmm. and he's a brilliant comedian and, a, like, a, a great partner for me. So that gave me a little confidence. And then we learned the way out West dance, and then that yeah. gave us a little confidence. Oh. Like, you know what I mean? So if I had to make the decision all at once, like, are you ready to go? Are you ready to take on this giant thing? I would have said no. Mm -hmm. But all these small victories along the way gave me a little bit more hope. And... Uh, and at the end of the day, like we, I feel like we made something special. I do, and, mm -hmm. it, and, it, and it's, some, someone gave me a great compliment about the movie earlier today. They said, you know, 
this movie is about Laurel and Hardy, but the way that you told it and the personal take that you took on it, it could have been about anybody, mm-hmm. and it still mm-hmm. would have been an interesting story. Mm-hmm. They could have mm-hmm. done another job for a living, and, it, and if you examined the way they talk to each other and how two men you know, get through conflict and love each other and mm-hmm. express sensitivity and vulnerability to each other, like, you know, just the bones of, of our film are really compelling in that way. Um, and then it also happens to be about the greatest partnership in the history of performers, right. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, how, no offense to you guys. <laughs> well, you haven't listened yeah. to the show yet. Yeah, just so, give it time. Okay. Just, just wait. <laughs> but this seems like such a personal story for you and so important. I mean, is that why you took this on? or? Yeah, I, I th- you know, that's... No, I took it on because I'm an actor, and when right. people ask me to do things that seem challenging and, and inspiring, I do them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, now that the movie's done, and I've got no more work to do on it other than talk about it, my overall mission with it is to reignite the flame of Laurel and Hardy, get people excited about them again, especially younger people mm-hmm. who might only know their graphic image. Oh, the fat guy and the skinny guy, right, mm-hmm. but they don't know their films well it's never been easier to watch laurel and hardy and i can tell you if you're a young person listening to this podcast <laughs> just watch one of them you know well if, if, it, if you don't like it watch one more but <laughs> but you'll see the comedy is still relevant it will still make you laugh mm-hmm. out loud it still makes me laugh out loud mm-hmm. when i watch it and i can't say that about a lot of their contemporaries of their era you mm-hmm. know charlie chaplin was great but i don't laugh out loud when i watch right. charlie chaplin you know these guys figured out something really special about comedy and timing and the universal, uh, um, the universal language of comedy as a binding force among people. They were famous all over the world. Mm-hmm. For co- and for a comedian, that's a real accomplishment. Because mm-hmm. I know from making movies with, say, Will Ferrell, whatever, we take them over to Europe. And certain countries, it's a harder sell than mm-hmm. other countries because culturally, they're just different. They don't, you know. So a lot of our, that humor in that movie is based on contemporary references and, uh, and a contemporary look at American life. Uh, but Laurel and Hardy, they brought their movies to Italy, to Germany, to, you know, Brazil. Like, and every single place where they went, those people thought they were theirs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because what they were expressing, the jokes they were making were just applied to everybody. Right. You mm-hmm. didn't have to be from America. You know, Stan wasn't from America. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, so that's a real accomplishment to be able to put a bunch of people in a room and regardless of their skin color, mm-hmm. their religion, their, their political language. party. <laughs> yeah, their language. And, and I'll tell you something interesting about that. Um, but w- despite all those differences, in their audience, they united people. They still unite people. Mm-hmm. And this is not an easy time in the world when they were doing these movies. It was in the middle of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and the fascism was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Charlie, you know, um, Adolf Hitler stole Charlie Chaplin and Oliver Hardy's mustache. Mm-hmm. Right. I think deliberately, but so <laughs> so it's just not. It's just, just to just to point out that it wasn't some rosy time in the world when these guys were making this beautiful humanist comedy. It was a really tough time in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I wanted to say about foreign languages was they they would do versions of their movies. It's really hard to find them now because a lot of these prints have disappeared. But they would, while they're doing, you know, say, Way Out West or whatever, they would, they would be like, all right, boys, we're going to do one in German now. 
and they would hold up cue cards with it with their dialogue written phonetically in German. Wow. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, because there weren't, that's the what's another thing that set them apart from their contemporaries when talkies started happening mm-hmm. after the silent era. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were just like jabber, 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 wall to wall dialogue in their movies. They couldn't talk enough because it was so exciting to be able to talk in movies. Right. Laurel and Hardy were like, hold on. We were doing something really well before this talkie thing happened. So let's take it easy. And so a lot of their films are still silent, even into the talkie era. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they they were deliberately. So then, when they speak, you're really waiting uh, for what they're going to say. And because of the le- because of the small amount of dialogue, for the most part. They were able to do this thing of mm-hmm. making versions of their movies, not only with sub, not not with subtitles, but right. with them actually speaking the language. Wow. That's so the amazing. People like in no Italy and, and South America, it was like they thought those pe- they thought Stan and Ollie were theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, when they watched them, that's why they were so popular internationally. They thought they were theirs, and and I think there's something, and I felt that way growing up. But the first time I saw them, I was like, those guys, they're doing it for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And they had this wonderful eternal quality. It was almost like salt and pepper or, you know, fat and skinny, mm-hmm. light and shadow. Yep. Stan and Ollie, uh, mm-hmm. yin, yang, you know, like they were the embodiment of an eternal truth. Mm-hmm. And they didn't change. You know, they, they kept the same costumes. Supporting characters would come in and out of their lives just like they did in their real lives. Mm-hmm. Many marriages and different, you know, right. episodes and stuff. Um, but there's this consistency and this eternal universality to these, to this, to these characters that they created, and there's something really compelling about that. Like when I was a little kid and I first saw them on TV, I just thought, like, who are these guys? Well, they've always been here. They have that quality to mm-hmm. them, you know. Anyway, a comfort, yeah. Blah blah blah. No, no, no it's fascinating. <laughs> no, what I what I love about the approach in this film is it, you didn't set out to make a chronological this is how this is where they were born, this is how they met. It's it's sort well, of I have a just, special uh, a special constriction in my career in that way. I made Walk Hard. <laughs> right. Oh, I remember. That I had a lot of nerve making a biopic after that after making fun of biopics so much. But we did we did something that was like that's I'm glad you pointed that out because yeah. it's not your typical, you know, Jake Cas who directed Walk Hard said the funny thing about <laughs> biopics is every time a door opens it's a new era right. you know like, <laughs> literally a door opens it's like you know it's the teenage me yeah. it's, the, it's the 20s me yeah. anyway this is a really we, we do flashback a couple times to their earlier lives but it really takes place in 1953 on their last theatrical tour mm-hmm. of England and Ireland and Scotland and it was the in the reason that that period of time was so poignant for them is that once you know about their lives and who they were during their heyday when they're making all those films they're very different people they weren't hanging out they're spending a lot of time together and they have this miraculous act Mm -hmm. this incredible chemistry but Oliver was going off to play golf and drink and <laughs> eat great meals and bet on just horses. Enjoy, yeah, bet on horses. Enjoy the fruits of Hollywood. And and Stan would just go back to the editing room after work and keep working, you know. So they didn't really learn to love each other as people until they were forced to be together all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was these tours, the train rides, the hotels, the backstage. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have the luxury or the opportunity of getting away from each other. So they really had to look at each other and say like, okay, well, who are you? You know, I've loved you as my partner mm-hmm. in this act. 
And then they, it's a beautiful thing to see that they came to love each other as human beings. And I think that that is kind of what makes our film universal. Mm-hmm. It's not just about these two guys. It's about these two guys. And at the same time, it's about every friendship, every partnership. Right. You know? Well, I'm sure you guys have periods of time where you're like, if she says that one more time, <laughs> what are you trying to start here, John? <laughs> because you want the podcast to keep right. going well, right? You don't want to cause ruffles, and right? The, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we totally get so along. That's what I'm, I'm definitely about. the hardy. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, can we talk about the fizzle comedy in this film and uh, the way you guys did, like the train station in and outdoors and the bell ringing? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I know last night you had said something about you were kind of riffing off of or doing exactly what um, Oliver and Hardy were doing, or I'm sorry, Laurel and Hardy were doing. Is there anywhere where you uh, just kind of did your own thing, or was it completely well, exact to what they do? No, actually, it's the opposite. Did I say that? I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the first thing that we do in the movie, that Way Out West dance, is really the only time in the movie when we try to replicate what okay. Laurel and Hardy mm-hmm. did, down to the mistakes that they made while right. they were doing that dance. Because when you watch the film, when you really study it, you're like, oh, somebody missed a beat there and caught up. Oh, interesting. It's like this kind of shambling dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but then the things like you're mentioning, there's... There's a sequence where we check into a hotel and we, we play around with the clerk and do all these physical mm-hmm. gags and Stan keeps dropping the bags. All of that had to be rehearsed like a new routine because <laughs> it wasn't written down anywhere. Even the double door routine that you mentioned yeah. that they did in their stage show, people would just say there was this double door routine in their stage show, but there's no script of, you know, two steps right, one step left, right. you know, like... Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in this in our script it just said they do the double door routine so that was we suddenly you know Steve and I were rehearsing we were like hold on we gotta we gotta come up with a double door routine here which meant like hours and hours and hours and hours of rehearsal and like when you watch something like that like the reason that Laurel and Hardy were so brilliant is that it just seems like it's the first time they're doing it it's just nonchalant and they're just mm-hmm. tossing it off well in order to achieve that you need to put hours and hours and hours in and when you're when you're watching that not a spoiler alert but <laughs> when you're watching it like I can tell you what was going on in our heads was almost like uh like counting like a musical score we're going four three two one turn two three four step in look two four step out turn look inside of our heads that was going on wow Uh, all the while pretending like we're just casually looking around we're keeping this because it because the whole act that whole comedy routine is relies on us just missing each other just not seeing each other at the last second (laughs) in order to have that you have to have this exquisite almost musical timing uh and it takes a lot of practice um Anyway, so yes, we put a lot of ourselves into it through the act of coming up with those new routines for the show or for our movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was all based on, you know, accounts of their act. Or, you know, there is a double door routine in one of their movies, but it's not in the train station. It's in a movie called Helpmates, uh, <laughs> where they save a woman from drowning in the river, she, or she tries to. Ki- commit suicide and they save her anyway there's a double door routine that takes place in two elevators where they're trying to find her or trying to get away from her (laughs) they don't want their wives to see they're with this woman even though they just saved her (laughs) 
Anyway, it's really funny. So our double door routine was kind of inspired by the Got double it. door routine in Helpmates, but we but we had to craft our own version of it. That's brilliant. Yeah. I like how a lot I mean, of... thank you. <laughs> yeah, Welcome, that's really uh, John C. Riley Show. <laughs> so you can count all the way to four. That's incredible. I never would have thought that. So uh, <laughs> I, I love how different people in the crew brought up, specifically the producer said, like, the first time she saw both of you in costume. It was just a very emotional moment. And the first time they watched you do the Way Out West dance, it was just people were tearing up because it brought up so much so much to them did you feel that on set did you feel kind of like that that magic that that you would feel when you were watching laurel and hardy well not when i was not i never felt like i was watching laurel and hardy because i was there in the midst of it but I, i know what you mean about people having these reactions to us it's like they came back to life like if you love laurel and hardy there were a bunch of guys that came from the sons of the desert which is the worldwide fan club of laurel and hardy Mm. they were there and they were just like you know they're pinching themselves they just couldn't believe what they were seeing um but uh wait what was the question again well a lot of different people in the crew said the first time they watched you do the way out west dance and come out in full costume it was just kind of like this magical moment it kind of brought tears to their eyes right so when we did that double door routine Mm -hmm. i had this total emotional breakdown moment because all along the the way of preparing to make the movie and doing the different scenes in the movie you're just kind of like fingers crossed i hope i'm doing this right i i you know because you you convince yourself that you're, you're doing a good job because you have to to stay positive and stay confident but in the back of your mind you're like are we are we even close to getting this right you know you know of course the director is going to say hey great job because he needs to, to to keep you confident but in the back of your mind you're like kind of doubting it right so we do that double door routine and we had hundreds of extras coming into those theaters we shot all over england in these different theaters and we'd have these hundreds of extras come in and they don't know us or they might have heard of me and steve but they don't know what they're going to see they're just told report at 6 a.m sit in this theater in costume like and so we would perform for them and these extras had not seen the act before and so we doing this double door routine, you know, and I'm and I'm catching glimpses of the audience while we're doing it, and there's just this beaming with joy, you know, people just like they can't believe what they're seeing and they're <laughs> laughing and they're like, you know, we're getting them with the timing and the jokes and the, and I walked off stage and I just like, I lost it because I thought like we're we are doing it, we're doing what they did, we're bringing that same joy to people with these, through these same simple gags mm-hmm. that we've worked really hard on, but we're bringing that same joy in the same way that they did, and that was really overwhelming because that felt like I'm I am carrying something into the future for these guys. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. really moving. Oh, well, on that note, <laughs> <I know. laughs> on that note, I have, we have to wrap this up. But uh, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. Yeah, or, or we should thank you for having us, allowing oh, us, having us on, on the John show. C. Riley. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was about dogs at first. When I, heard the bit, the bit. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about our dogs, but that's like a, a different show. Like a show dog forum. That'll um, be the but, next iteration of this no. show. <laughs> you guys were bitchy at all, by the way. We can well, talk a lot. We, oh, we can be bitchy if you want. Once I leave, be really bitchy about me. Yes, well, when, we're exactly. in, when we're in our studio drinking whiskey, it can yeah, get bitchy. That's oh. Next bitchy. time you come on, you're yeah. invited. All right. 
if you, if you partake. But also, you're in so many films this year. You're in four films. <laughs> I just saw Sisters Brothers. It's incredible. But oh, you're so you. busy and you're so talented, and it's just been an honor yeah. to talk with you. Thank oh, you. It's really nice yeah. of you. Thank you. Yeah. We'll be bitchy next time. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Cool. That was John C. Riley in the, the house. One and only. Best friend of the show. Yeah. He's going to listen to an episode one day and be like, they're one day. brilliant. When he gets a new dog, maybe. And he's going to play me in the uh, biopic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get ready for that, he's JCR. He's going to wear a shrink suit for that one. A shr- <laughs> He'll have to get on his knees. <laughs> oh, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. You That's took not it there. What that anyway, meant. moving on. To be shorter. Uh, but he almost fell out of his chair. He literally, literally I don't know. We're going to have to listen to it, but he was trying to do some comedic something. And no, he it was fell because the Q and a that, uh, la- last night we saw a Q and a with him in this, in San Francisco. And he kept doing the thing that kids do, like just, you know, Wobbling rocking that chair. chair. <laughs> and I thought he was going to fall. There's a few times where I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then today he was like, no, I'm totally fine when I mentioned it. And then he went back and, and then he almost, almost fell <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that happened. So. I'm not going to ask if you teared up. I'm just assuming you did. But I did. Yeah, of course. It's a friendship movie. It's it a duo about, movie. <laughs> it's about love. Yeah, love yeah. between friends yep. and, and realizing, coming to terms with the end of something. Right. Oh, man. Okay. Well, on that <laughs> note... <laughs> Uh, I like how he tried to call us out. Like, oh, so you guys must fight all the time. And then oh you yeah, have I was to like, <laughs> actually, we don't. I don't think we do. No, we don't fight. I just write about you in my journal. Oh, God. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> go see Stan and Ollie and uh, support indie film. Can't believe I forgot that we already interviewed John C. Riley earlier this year. So thanks to John C. Riley. And uh, you can find us again at bitchtalkpodcast.com. Find us at bff.fm every Monday morning from 5.30 to 6. You can also find us at Cobb's Comedy Club on Sunday, September 8th, hosting the really funny comedians who happen to be women. And uh, we'll see you later. Bitch, please.